Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Jody Steinhauer, a dynamic impact mat matchmaker and social entrepreneur with a flair for bridging the gap between businesses and communities. With over three decades of experience, Jody founded the Bargains Group, a trailblazing wholesale company plus promotional products company. But Jody's impact doesn't stop at business. Her philosophy, giving back makes great business sense, led her to establish Engage and Change, a charity that has rallied thousands to provide essential survival kits to the homeless. Furthermore, recognizing a disconnect between corporations and nonprofits, she launched Kits for a Cause, a social enterprise that empowers companies to make a tangible difference in their communities. An international speaker, author, and a beacon of inspiration, I've asked Jody to share her journey and talk about how passion, innovation, and community can come together to create lasting change. So Jody, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Thanks, Daryl. Having a great day so far. Yeah, good. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you here. Now, I always like to ask at the beginning, before we get into, into any of these details, obviously, you've been a social entrepreneur with a ton of impact. How did you even get started? Like, do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? Were you sitting around the dinner table with your parents talking about business? Or what? Uh, I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs, but I come from a family that's got their hands and everything. And my mom did a huge amount of volunteer work. All I used to hear about was all the problems that she was volunteering, trying to solve. So I think I grew up learning how to be a problem solver at the dining room table. Mm. And my father was the CFO of a, a sweater factory of hundreds and hundreds of employees. So I used to hear about all the different challenges that would go on between unions and different challenges when you're dealing with just hundreds and hundreds of employees. So I learned that way. But I really believed in whatever you do, you got to love it. You got to wake up every day excited to go to the office. Right. And I still... If I do sleep, because I don't sleep much, that's still something that I'm excited to tell you that every day I wake up excited. And when I'm not excited about something, I I change, right? Yeah. My, bus my business is 35 years old. When I started it, I sold retail discount stores across Canada. And it was fun. People were nice. It was, you got the deal, you bought the deal, you sold the deal, you made a bit of a spread. You put a smile on someone's face. They made some money. Everybody was good. But the world changed and people like Walmart came in mm. and they got real corporate and things became not so much fun anymore. And mm. the clients became not so happy. So we decided to make a shift and totally pivot out of different people who would appreciate us, respect us, and who would be fun. And we started dealing with prisons and correctional mm. facilities. Mm. And then we started dealing with charities and homeless shelters. And we found our niche. People were wonderful, appreciative, grateful, polite, mm. paid their bills, all the mm. things a business person wants. And we decided how can we do more of this and do good, but feel good at the same time. So how walk me through your business career. What was some of your first early business experience? Did you have a lemonade stand? Did you sell ant farms? How did you even oh, get in? Yeah. As a child, I sold everything. I, the oldest stories where mm. I did all of that, I had a lemonade stand. My, I would deliver political flyers. I would sell a regal catalog. I was like the top salesperson for regal catalog and make all my neighbors crazy. I always sold the largest amount of girl guide cookies. Cause I'd say, dad, here's a flyer, put in the lunchroom. You got 400 employees. They all have to buy a box. Um, I never bought I re-gifted everything. Um, mm. I got $5 a day to buy lunch because my mother never made me lunch. And I would save 
$4 of it and spend $1 on fries and gravy and then come home and make my own lunch and saved up to buy my first car. And I could just go on and on. So I was always very entrepreneurial, how to make money go really far. Uh, I sold craft pins at very exclusive stores uh, when I was 10. Um, I worked for one of the largest chains of clothing stores. When I was 14, they thought I was 18. And I made <laughs> I won every contest or every spiff and I did it by authentic selling. I was just really honest. And I would say, take those pants off. They make your ass look huge. You should wear these. And people love the fact that I was honest. And to this day, that's the only way I do things. I'm a great salesperson, but mm. I'm an honest salesperson and I'm great at downselling because downselling builds trust. Upselling mm. ruins, ruins your relationships. Can you talk about that? What do you mean by downselling and how does downselling build trust? Yeah. These days, most of my business is helping charities. So if you think about people like the Salvation Army or the Red Cross or any local charity, they all need stuff. And they're not general. They're usually like social workers or people that are heart people that deal with clients. They're not right. procurement people. Right. So lots of times they would call up, they'll call up or go on my website and say, I think I want those. And I know the market really well. And if I don't think that product is best suited for their clients, I'll say to them, you're, I'm more than happy to give you that, but can I recommend a couple things that are lower price mm. that will make your limited budget go a lot further? And I think will be a lot better for your situation. And people are like always blown away. So an example is jogging pants. I may have track pants for say $18 for a homeless shelter. And someone calls me up and says, we're broke and the numbers are through the roof. We've got a ton of refugees or people. So I said, I have these amazing flannel pants for $8.50. You can buy over two of them for the price of one track. Right. Why do you buy all of these or do half and half? And then you've got enough money to help more people. So just an example of, I look after every dollar of my client's money. It's mm. my own and it's my last dollar. I love that. I feel like so even if you don't have an ethical bone in your body, the only way to survive long-term is to really love on people and care about them, your staff, your clients, your vendors, everyone, right? We're in, you want to play, you need to be focused on playing long-term games with long-term people. So I love this. I love and, that. And I'll tell you a great story. Before I started my company, I, I was in New York City and I worked for Guest Jeans and I was a sales rep and I was a great salesperson. They gave me Bloomingdale's, they gave me Saks, they gave me Fifth Ave Saks with Avenue. And I would show the buyers the line and I would say, okay, these ones, double your quantity. This is the best fitting jean. This is going to be your rocket ship for this season. That one, take it off your order. It fits like crap, don't do it. So the buyers loved me because I was honest and I would try mm. all of them on and I would show them the company wasn't so happy. They said, Jody, you got to push everything. And I said, no, I don't. You yeah. screwed up and built some wrong stuff. That's your problem. I'm not going to ruin my reputation if I don't believe in it. And I, I think that, that was where that made me really, again, that's the way I've always done things. It's unfortunately yeah. Yeah. very different. I may not have the highest sales, but we do great. So I'd much rather have the longevity of clients for decades as opposed to the quick hit. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Because you might be able to convince fool someone once, but then they won't come back. They won't come back no. at all. So what were some of the biggest challenges then? Was it all sunshine and rainbows? Like you were just making money and doing this and that oh, and yeah. having fun all day, every day. That was, it was just no, I mean, your heels. I think staying to your ethics and really guarding your reputation has been a really tough thing, but it's my number one rule. I say to everybody, there's been so many opportunities that have come my way and me really taking my moral and ethical compass and say, okay, like 
how could that go wrong? And if it does, what would that do to my reputation? There's been some massive six, seven figure opportunities that it could have been just easy money. But when I really evaluated, I thought short-term gain, long-term big issue. And I chose to always guard my reputation. And I, I say proudly, I do a lot of interviews. I'm in the media a lot, all different things, but Google me, you'll see thousands of things, but I'm very proud to say it's generally good stuff. It's really not bad. So guarding your reputation, especially in the new age with the social media is so important. But the hardest part I think is really separating yourself as entrepreneurs. We are our business. We live, breathe and eat it. Learning to turn off is a real problem for me. I love what I do. I didn't (laughs) choose to have children for a very long period of time. My children know if you call me during business hours, unless it's an emergency, I will not answer your call. I'm you working. Have, you have how many kids again? Four? I have five, five children. Five. Yeah. Five. yeah. Yeah. And, but I didn't miss a hockey game. I did. I'm always that mom that would slide in just as the puck dropped, or I'd never missed a school play or anything that you're supposed to be at. Everybody knew, okay, let's see if Jody makes it. And literally seconds before, I just always tend to slide in because I'm really great at productivity and maximizing every second. Mm. Um to do what I got to do. But at the same time, you got to, you got to balance. I don't think there is such a balance, but the hardest thing for me is trying to explain to people I love that I'm not choosing work over you. I just really love what I do and I'm changing people's lives and making impact. It's very different than just doing something. So if I stop working and don't answer emails at a certain hour there, I could have got an emergency email from the red cross that has just evacuated people and desperately needs supplies. That stuff's right. important. So yeah. I always look tired yeah. and I always say sleep's overrated. The other thing that's <laughs> been really challenging for all of us is people, right? I work at the, at the speed of some people call me wonder woman or the energizing bunny, having to realize that most people don't work at my speed and lower my expectation it's really hard for somebody like mm. me when they don't understand why isn't everybody like this and <clears throat> and they're just not and hiring people and dealing with especially post covid where everybody's broken it's really challenging because it does slow down the growth of all of our businesses when you don't have the right people yeah i, I remember one of my first mentors he said Daryl, one of the things you're going to have to wrap your head around is everyone is a beta version of you and I'm spiritual, not religious, but I think this quote says it really well. Don't expect other, others to understand your grind when God didn't give them your vision. And I think those Absolutely. two things combined, that's why everyone's a beta version of you. Because for you, it's your mission, your passion, you're connected to it somehow. But for a lot of other people, they're joining your mission. So the enthusiasm right. is not the same, right? They don't have the vision yeah. and that. So now, can you speak a little more? Because I've talked to a lot of employers, even some big ones, like of outsourcing centers with thousands, in, in a couple of cases, tens of thousands of staff. Can you speak to hiring post-COVID? You mentioned some challenges. What have you? What are you seeing? I mean, we were really lucky in COVID. We worked seven days a week and our business grew exponentially during COVID. So we were really lucky. So what it also allowed us to do is really weed out people that didn't want to be here and we didn't want here because our government was able to offer subsidies for people and people could stay home with their kids and things like that. The people who weren't part of our vision and mission and helping and took that opt out, it was awesome because I didn't have to fire them or let them go and mm-hmm. they could leave with dignity and respect and part ways. 
we had a lineup of people who wanted to work for us, which was awesome because so many people weren't hiring and we were doing, we're a purposeful company, right? Everything we do is with purpose. And I think COVID's really changed the way everybody looks at what they do eight to 10 hours a day at work. People are now searching for purpose and they're making choices, especially people with the large corporations. They're saying, what? I'm not interested anymore. I really want to focus on my health, my family. What they wake up for has really had a shift. But the problem is when someone, people are working for those big companies, in most cases, they're paid a whack of money. Not generally loving what they do, but it's really hard to make an exit. So we've had, I've never had so many people approach us wanting to work and wanting to work for purpose, but we have to also remind them we are a business. If you would like a paycheck, we do need to watch the bottom line and make money. Mm. So there's been a definite increase of people looking for purposeful companies, but the way people want to work has definitely changed things. I love being, I have 10, 12 Zoom calls a day. I love it because I don't have to get in my car and waste time traveling. I don't have to go to events. I think it's incredibly efficient and I can do just as good a job on a call with somebody on a Zoom call. I can, but some people aren't like that. Some people are craving different things. So it has been a challenge, but positively, we've probably transformed about 60% of our company in the last 12 to 24 months. Mm. And we've never elevated and raised the bar um, with such great people, which is only going to help us propel us into the future. So there's a lot we've upgraded and top graded our people, which is awesome. But everybody, including me, we're all broken. We've all been through whatever our story is. And it tends to come up every now and then. It's just about being empathetic and Mm. being an empathetic leader has never been more important. Saying, Mm. how are you doing, Daryl? And meaning it, not just, hey, how's it going? And hey, I heard there was something going on. You want to talk or you want to go for a walk? You want to go for a coffee? And I I see that employees really appreciate that. And post-COVID, many of my people came to me and said, crying. We are so happy and we're so grateful that you kept us working and you kept our families fed and you created a safe environment. And we'll never forget that. And that means Mm. a lot, right? Yeah, it's a blessing to be able to do that. A lot of the people I've talked about, they feel like the shift has really changed from before and there might still be echoes of it, but before you would hire for a specific position versus promote from within. But whereas now it's almost like there's a talent vacuum in certain respects. It's a catch 22 because some of these major companies have had big layoffs. So the talent pool has increased to a certain extent, but also if not, like either you have a surplus of talent to choose from, or there's an, an absence of it. And so then there's yeah. a real need to, to train and promote. It's almost going back to the old school days where you had people started somewhere and they train up and the company really invests in their people. It's almost like we're moving towards that again, as opposed to almost yeah. um, like a Tinder-based work economy where you just swipe and you go through 40, 50 applications and pick the, the best one versus now you may not have those 40, 50 options to choose from before. <clears throat> Yeah, I think a lot of it too has to do with generations, right? I've always tried to hire kind of people that are 40 plus Mm. because the work ethic of that demographic, I don't know whether they take it more seriously, they're more conscientious, they're not clock watchers. They are number one core value here at the Bargains Group and Kits for Causes. We consciously care. Mm. And that means about each other, about our clients and about our suppliers. And unfortunately, I think some of the younger generation I have, Five kids that went through school through COVID, whether it be high school or post-secondary, and one was working. 
and they were really craving contact right. and they lost it. And that was a big part of their lives. They don't know how to relate. And we're seeing yep. this with the younger, they don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to show vulnerability. They yep. don't know how to ask for help. And that is, I think, post COVID, but I think it's also society. I find that's really tough, but explaining how, when we bring new people in, we have to actually untrain them and yeah. just say, look at you for the bank. We we're, we're not interested. Like you want to cry and you need to, we, this, here's what we do for that. We're here for you. And we're just a real group of people who are really authentic. And I think that's what we as leaders have to stick together and be, because we're all people. We're all consumers. Mm -hmm. We all partake in businesses, but we're at the core essence. We are, we're just human beings trying to push yeah. through. And with now the fear of COVID's coming back and what's going to happen, there's a lot of fear coupled mm -hmm. with the economy, just being able to, I'm in Canada and the amount of people who are losing their housing, they're missing, prices are going through the roof. They're getting kicked out. Their landlords are jacking rents up. They're becoming homeless. There's no place for them to go. And the, the downward spiral is really brutal and nobody chooses to be in that situation. So just trying to help out whatever that may be is never been more important. Yeah, I agree. That's actually part of why I've been increasing the number of interviews I do is because of the research that I did. I'm going to take kind of 10 seconds, maybe 20 yeah. to go through it. And that's, I spent 50,000 US to go through all the academic literature we could find to figure out what are the critical success factors for small and medium-sized businesses. I hired 10 assistants to help me go through them all and say, what, what really moves the needle? And we identified eight critical success factors and they are self-efficacy, market intelligence, strategic planning, marketing strategy, sales strategy and skill, money management, business operations, and business intelligence. And those are the big umbrella categories that everything fits into from cybersecurity to hiring process, all those fit into those eight categories. We actually also identified a ninth category, but we didn't include it because it's government and economic conditions. And what we learned through our research is it doesn't matter what the economy do, is doing or the, even the government is doing as business owners, all we can do is focus on those eight. It's really tough for us as individuals to say, we're going to change the economy. We're going to change the government. And right. as a collective, we maybe need to. That's actually, after watching what's happened, I was in Vietnam for two and a half years during the worst of uh, the pandemic. And Vietnam is about as communist surveillance state Orwellian as you can get. And in the beginning, it was when in Rome, just you're in Rome. But after being there a year, I realized all the condos and apartments that we had rented had CCTV cameras in the living room. And the lights, wow. like we would be actively surveilled. Like they had... They have mandatory military service there. And so they have an abundance of really cheap labor. So they just have guards like military guards on street corners, watching busy intersections with CCTV cameras, watching the watchers, watching you. They have watchers, watching, watchers, watching you. And this is all being fed in and monitored by AI and stuff. And as an expat who was laptop class, Vietnam was fantastic. But I very quickly realized that if you were a local Vietnamese person, it was tough. My dog got kidnapped out of our yard and eaten in the middle of the pandemic. This is they, Vietnam and China are the two countries that eat the most dog. And they it's like human trafficking. If anyone hasn't, go check out Sound of Freedom. But that scenario is what happened with my dog. And so <clears throat> I see where this goes. And I've been wanting to talk and maybe dive into the research more on how to impact, how to come together as business owners. But generally speaking, all you can really do is focus on self-efficacy, which is demonstrating the right characteristics, personality traits. You can be an introvert 
but business is about helping people. So you got to get, you got to demonstrate extrovert characteristics. You have to be open to experiences and, and willing to accept criticism and feedback to improve leadership skills. Leadership skills is not about setting a vision. That's part uh, market intelligence and strategic planning. Leadership is self-awareness, communication, cooperation skills, emotional intelligence skills, adaptability. That is leadership, which you already alluded to. And then there's the disciplines, the physical disciplines, the mental health disciplines, having a sense of urgency in what you do. Those, that's all part of the self-efficacy that really makes or breaks all the other factors. If you have a team of people and they are not disciplined, it's just, it's like herding yes. cats. So all these fit together. And I, my heart goes out to see what's happening in Canada. I'm going to say it because my show, but recently I was working, I had a couple of uh, training sessions I did at an outsourcing center and they brought three different groups in <clears throat> and three different groups from three different floors of this building. And one person from, so two people, one from two, two out of three groups, there was one person that's maybe the better way to say it. Two out of three groups, there was one person in each who said, when I said I was from Canada, how do you feel about Canada turning into North Korea? And never in my life have I ever had that sort of, a never in the same sentence. But I understand why they may think that. I don't personally necessarily agree with it 100%, but I don't disagree with it 100% either. So... <clears throat> I think what you're talking about is really important. And this is actually going to lead to my next question because you've been really good at identifying problems and getting to the heart of the problems. And that's where I think you've had such success with even your nonprofits and your business. And you even mentioned jumping industries. Like we were in this industry and Walmart came out and we had to pivot. Can you speak to that a little bit? Getting to the heart of a profitable problem you can solve. Yeah, when I was selling retail stores, and I would buy, buy a deal on underwear or socks or whatever it is, and then call a store and sell them the product. And it was fun. It was easy. When things started getting more complicated with processes and everybody wanted a million different restrictions put on things and all sorts of things, it became not so fun. I thought, I don't like, really like this anymore. Uh, I need something with recurring revenue as a model, as a process. So ironically, I was introduced to somebody who um, worked in the penitentiary federal penitentiary. So I thought, what do you guys need? And they said, we have prisoners. They need socks and they need underwear. And I said, oh, I have that. That's really cool. Sometimes you just have to have an open mind and open eyes to say, where else could I transfer what I do into a different industry? So I started selling correctional facilities. Some of them were government tenders, but majority of them were just what prisoners needed. I thought this is a good gig. That we're always going to have people in jail, so I won't have mm. a problem there. And they're right. going to call back up. But then I started running into um, some of the facilities who were, quite frankly, dirty and wanted payoffs and different ah. things. I was not interested. So I said, and I still deal with prisons today, but yeah. I only deal with the clean ones. Then I was volunteering at a homeless shelter and the similar thing happened. The short version of the story is a couple of the social workers came walking in with huge bags filled with supplies told me they just spent $10,000 at the local store. They were so proud of themselves of the great deal they got. And I was sick when they opened up the bags. It was all the stuff for my company. And I very quickly eyeballed it and said, if you had called the bargains group, that would have been about $2,000, not 10. And I'm a donor and I'm really pissed off. You just blew $8,000. Mm. So they found out what I did. And that's how I got into helping charities and not-for-profits. And they just started giving my name to everybody. 
So once we started to do that, we just asked the questions. When Once you find a group of people that you connect with and can help, what do you do? You want to do more of it, right? And you just right. say, what else do you need help with? So I became the student of the sector <clears throat> and they taught me over a decade all the different things they desperately need when they're experiencing poverty or disaster relief. Everything from the obvious clothing, bedding, linen, hygiene products, and down to now, next couple months are all about holiday gifts, right? Mm-hmm. And how they have very limited budgets. And so the more we did, the more we helped people, the more they spread our name around. And the more my employees said, I love helping these people. And then we started donation programs because we started to see that companies were putting things in landfill. I thought, mm. this is crazy. There's so many needy people. How can we fix this? So one of our largest product donors is Sephora. And we get every piece of Sephora product that is seasonally comes out of a store. We repurpose it, we resort it, and then we distribute for free to shelters and outreach and drop-ins and charities from coast to coast. So that's part of a huge program. We developed the full circle donation program. And again, we loved it. And then we started to see how much need there was in Canada. And as a business person, I thought, this is crazy. We've got so much money here. So I just got together uh, 20 people like you, Daryl, and said, come to my warehouse next Saturday, bring me a hundred bucks, don't ask questions and trust me. And they did. And what we ended up doing was we packed our first kits. And that was Mm. 24 years ago. Spent an hour and a half, packed some kits, had a specific type of event, and uh, then distributed them to 10 vehicles who showed up. And everybody who was there said that was the most impactful thing I have done. I want all my employees there next time. And can I bring my family? And that was the beginning of my charity, which was not supposed to be a charity. It was just a love project. And 25 Mm. years later, it's sadly grown exponentially. And what we ended up happening was companies from coast to coast started calling us hundreds of them saying, Hey, we heard about you. We want to roll up our sleeves and do impact. We don't want to write checks and just donate money to charity anymore. We want to see where money's going and we want to feel good. You've got a great model. Can you help us? And that's how my social enterprise kits for a cause was born. And we match make companies and causes. And it's literally taking an old archaic industry of fundraising and volunteering and flipping it upside down and, It's never been needed more because post-COVID, any charity has lost majority of their volunteers. Right. And they sure as heck have lost a lot of their donors. So they've got to be marketers. They've got to figure out how to interest people again and get them back. And it is not easy. So if they have the Kits for Cause model, we do it all for them in an outsourced model for no cost. And it's literally spreading like wildfire. And it's Not only is it helping so many, it's opening people's eyes and teaching them empathy when they don't even know they're learning. Uh, And we're making massive impact. And hopefully, like you talked about government, my goal is that there's going to be millions and billions of dollars from the government that they used to fund for stuff. Now they can put it into infrastructure and healthcare and education and housing and things that we all need. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that. So a lot of what you're saying speaks to the research. First off, we talk about market intelligence. You really need to know what the problem is, who wants the problem solved and why. You didn't list down a, a list of research, but you just, you, when you were talking, sharing your story, you, you went and talked to the people and you got to know, and they showed you everything that they need for to help like manage and, and support people in poverty and, and handle disaster relief. <clears throat> so you knew who the affected active was, you knew their stereotypes, you knew population size estimates, the demographics, psychographics of it. 
you understood deeply the cost of this problem and of not fixing it. The problem liability, short-term, long-term, the realized uh, costs, and also the unperceived costs. Right. Like that one group when they came, they didn't realize that by not doing a better job and sourcing a vendor that they were actually getting less than they could, obviously. And this goes back to even your sales that you dealt with integrity. So you knew your competitors, which is your, your top 10 competitors, so to speak. And you knew what they were selling. You knew what their target market was and you knew their offers and price points, so to speak. And you were able to outcompete, outbet because you just, you were essentially the provider. Anyhow, they were resellers to a certain extent. And I think that's yeah, a really. We, yeah, we took it to a much deeper level and became thought leaders in the area. But we also, I always say, there's no reason to compete. Just be different. I offer. Ooh. Yeah, I, I can, you can go. And buy underwear and socks if you're a homeless shelter from myself. If it's a retailer, my competitors would be Walmart, Amazon, and a dollar store. But number one, they're not going to get the same quality of product at right. the same incredible price. They're not going to get anybody to explain what kind of men's underwear. There's, I could talk for an hour about men's underwear. What kind of underwear are best suited? What size breakdowns? What colors? Who likes what? And on top of it, they're not going to get thousands of dollars with the donations with every shipment from our full circle donation program and pick up a phone and just order what you need and we'll ship it out. So there's so many different things that we do for free yep. um, <clears throat> that again, charities can't afford not to come to us. Right. And the only reason they wouldn't is an awareness issue. And one of the challenges after COVID is everybody talked about doctors and nurses and how hard it was Think about working in a homeless shelter with no walls yep. and hundreds of homeless people having a COVID breakout and being told, oh, suck it up, right. and then going home and potentially affecting your whole family. So there were so many social workers that are just honestly incredible people. My heart goes out to them that risks their lives and their families' lives to serve those less fortunate. And after a while, the burnout rate, I've never seen so high. And there's this You're mass right. exit. But now the problem is re-educating all of these people because it's a whole new crop of people who have had to come into the sector to help and they're new and they're fresh. And the problems, even post-COVID, for people who are experiencing homelessness, sometimes the long-term COVID effects and things like that have lasted a lot longer. And we have a massive housing crisis in Canada. Massive. There are no, there are no beds in a shelter. None. Yeah. I, I ran into a woman a little while ago. She'd been released from the hospital. She was on the street. And I said, where are you going to sleep tonight? And she said, I have no idea. They were supposed to help me. I just got out of surgery and they told me they needed the bed. And she was wandering the streets. Like that shouldn't be happening in a country like Canada. No, it shouldn't. And part of it, we actually did an interview for people that might be curious. We did an interview with a historian at, from Montreal University. I forget which one. But anyways, Matthew, Matthew, yeah, Matthew Eret. He's a historian. He wrote, published a couple of books, uh, Canada's Hidden History. We have, it's actually one of our most popular downloads called The Truth About Power and Money. And he talks about why. And, and part of it is if you actually go listen to the oath that the prime minister takes when they come into office, there's actually some very telling things that they say in that oath. And none of it is about taking care of Canadians and the Canadian people. I'll just right. leave it there. But that's some of this is systemic at the core. And I just wish I had such a wake up call through COVID because I, like I said, I feel like I got to see from inside uh, Vietnam, like what a potential fitness ads before and after. I feel like to a certain extent, I got to see a potential after photo and then I'm seeing the before and I'm seeing a lot of things that are wrapped in weaponized kindness 
that really I feel like our Trojan horse to march people towards. Like a perfect example is during COVID, we were living in this area called Da Nang, which is a huge tourist spot, major five-star resorts like Hyatt's got a five-star there. It's fantastic. I spent a ton of time there. Fantastic, beautiful. The government absorbed almost the whole beachfront because it was all shut down. These people couldn't pay their bills and it all got absorbed and chopped up amongst the ruling elite of the country where the entire, all these hotels being built, all that stuff, because they were just choked out. They couldn't get any traffic, any any business, anything like that. And there was no support from the government at all. But I knew even new people, they changed the visa status. This is, there was like a mass exodus right after they had an election 2021, April, 2021. This is when I started asking questions because we were working closely with our immigration lawyers that everything was fine. And all of a sudden, all the Facebook groups started exploding with expats being pushed out of the country. Their mm-hmm. visas have been, I've read stories in Facebook group. One guy's, I've been here for eight years. I have kids. I'm leaving my kids, my business, my car behind. I have 20 days to leave the country. And all of that stuff got absorbed by the government. All of that stuff. They just kicked out all the expats. And this is after being closed for a year and a half. So no foreign press is going into the country. They're only leaving because no one can get in. And it was just a very... Let's just say that I believe that in Vietnam, the rich got exponentially richer and a lot of people died that weren't rich. And that just really seemed to be a recurring theme around the world. Um, Going back to what you're talking about, some of the things I want to highlight is we already talked about your market intelligence, the market research that you had done. I think what's also powerful and one of the things that we found in our research is that how corporate social responsibility is proven to improve profitability of marketing campaigns, helping with community development, ethical values, and of course, informing the legal processes. So having a cause, people want to know their dollars are helping the community. And I think that's a really powerful one. You also did a mini scientific experiment, which is really important in marketing. You created a minimum viable product. You called, what was it? You said 10 people, a hundred people like me to come bring a hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah. You did a minimum viable product, a little experiment trial run to see how it went. And also something that's really rung true through everything that you've been saying is that it sounds like you've just been very intense in your networking. And one of our things of our research is that you need intense networking and advertising. Businesses serve people and you need a constant, as much as you work on retaining people, even if you had a hundred percent success retention rate with what you can do, people pass away, people move, people change careers. So if you're not bringing in fresh blood, all you can do is have a smaller client base. So you really need to, I think your trustworthiness and integrity, the transparency, your customer focused USP, the authenticity, these are all things that we actually found. The consistency, the clear brand purpose and promise, you're screaming all of this stuff, which our research showed really helps relate to long-term perseverance and resilience of a business in any way, shape or form. What do you feel are some of the biggest mistakes either your clients or other entrepreneurs making? I think uh, scaling too quickly is a real issue. Mm. I truly believe bigger is not better. Mm. And when I look back at business mastermind groups that I was in and say, wow, 30 years ago, 35 years ago, when I started, many of them are not in business anymore. There's very few of us still Mm. in business. When I say scaling, maybe because they had a great idea and they just went crazy, but they didn't really think or plan through to say, hey, can we execute that? And again, going back to reputation, I execute much potentially slower sometimes on a big change, but I make sure I don't do it until I have the right people Mm. because a great concept or business with the wrong people is a failure in most cases. I would also say 
having the having the too much trust in people at the end of the day, the people who work for you, sadly, are your employees. They're not <clears throat> your spouses. They're not your family. You may think you have a family at the end of the day. They're your staff. And yeah. you have to recognize that. And you have to recognize that their motivation is not the same as your motivation. Mm-hmm. We all fall in love, like you said in the beginning, with what we do and think everybody's drinking our Kool-Aid, but they're not. Yeah. Uh, hard lesson. And also, you said something earlier. My mentor taught me, if you're the best salesperson in your organization, then find someone who can do it 70% as well as you can. And that's a home run. Don't expect to find people that are going to do it at the same intensity as you. They do not exist. And if they do, they have their own businesses. Yeah. Uh, That's such a good, that's such a good point. Sorry. Keep going. Yeah, no. And some of the, the biggest mistakes probably that I've made or that have, when people say to me, I could be a hundred times, a thousand times as large. I've chosen from an integrity perspective. I make a great living. I do wonderful things. I drive it. I've got a great lifestyle. I have wonderful children. How much is enough? And I think people get greedy. And that's one Mm. thing that that's not my, yeah. And I think people get too caught up in that and what success looks like. So I've always said, I've been against the curve. Success to me isn't the lifestyle, the outside looking in lifestyle I'm living. Success is truly Am I happy and do I still get excited to go to work every day? And do I surround myself with growth oriented people who are also excited and we always want to move the dial, right? Yeah. And for me, that's what's important. But I think to society, what's important to me is not necessarily the same. Society is a very materialistic world. And I think COVID's changed a lot of that, you know? Which is, which is a big win. I, I want to share a story. When I was in high school, my my guy friends and I, I hitchhiked across Canada six times in my life. And I lived in BC. I did this program Katimovic. I got to live in BC, Alberta, Quebec. And when I came I, back to Ontario, I wanted to go back out to BC. And I worked basically from 17. I was paying my working and paying my own bills. And I still had to finish high school. And I remember a bunch of guy friends and I, we wanted to get good with girls. So we had a thing where it was who could talk to the most girls per day without try, the intent to collect numbers or get dates or anything. It was just to have meaningful, fun conversations with girls. But there was two caveats. One, you weren't allowed to ask for their number. If you got a number, it was great, but they had to give it to you. And two, they couldn't be getting paid to give you their attention. So the girl that's at the checkout at the grocery store doesn't count. The waitress at the restaurant doesn't count. And that's what reminded me of this is that it was a big wake up call for me in terms of, I thought lots of people love talking to me. And I realized the people that I love talking to were being paid to smile and nod at me. So it was, I think it was like a great exercise as a young man. I think that was just a fantastic thing to have no agenda and just get comfortable talking to beautiful women and just, and having fun conversations and then leaving at that, see you around. That was the other thing. And you also mentioned how a lot of the people, if they were a lot, and this isn't everybody, there's nothing wrong with having a job. And there's a lot of people that do get rich working for someone else. And that's a very, we need on a jungle, we need diversity and stability. However, there is a, a not a non insignificant percent of people who are looking for jobs because they need to be managed and coached. If they knew better, they would do better. Like you said, they would have their own business. And that's something that really needs to be taken notice of. And then you also talk about society. I think a lot of people would agree that our education system, bless it for bringing us this far. It was actually based on, I think it was the Peruvian, the Persian. I might have it wrong, but it's one of the P's. There was a king, he had lost in this war against the Spanish, it decimated his army. And he was very worried that he was going to lose his empire. 
And so he tried to come up with a way to train and indoctrinate soldiers to rebuild his army and have a very loyal, obedient, proficient, uh, skilled military force. And that became the foundation for the education system that we have in the West. And it was instead designed to create factory workers. And we know this because breaks are announced with a factory bell. Desks are arranged in assembly line format. Your teacher gives you a quality control scorecard. So these are right. all things that where if school was training people how to make get obvious, common knowledge worked, more people would be rich, famous, and have six-pack abs. And I'm going to say the word conspiracy theory because I have a theory, and it's a very well-proven theory that you can see through the legal records that there is a, a strategic partnership between big pharma and big food. And one of them gets people sick, and the other one puts people on pills every month, and they just send people back and forth and back and forth. You can actually look up this chart on our world and data. It's life expectancy versus cost expenditure. And they've manipulated the chart to try to make the, the gap seem less. And what I mean is when they do the countries, now the dots are bigger based off of country population size, as if that really makes a big difference. But the United States is over double the expense per capita globally compared to the global average. And it's not even middle of the pack performance. It is lower middle of the pack performance. In terms of taking care of people, but so when you look at that chart, it very clearly articulates that the U.S. healthcare system is optimized for profit, not for health performance. And this is where it talks, like you say, like you have to be your own leader. You have to create your own definition of success. And you got to watch out because what society is telling you is not necessarily what's best for you. And I think that's a really, I, I think, like you say, like a lot of the other people in the mastermind groups, they were pursuing maybe success. And it doesn't mean you can't get rich, be rich. That's fine. But that led them off of a cliff to a certain extent, right? Where they overreached. I wrote that down and I've seen myself, a lot of companies do that in the pursuit of more without trying to just really, the bird in the hands were two in the bush. Instead of going, having a, a stronger core, they just spread themselves too thin and it's really detrimental. What do you especially, feel are some- Especially when people are, I was going to say, especially when- there's so many people when, you know, you go outside and get financing and a VC comes in. Yep. Yeah. Right? Yep. Not an entrepreneur anymore. You're owned. Yeah. And 100%. they don't really You got to meet your numbers. People have said to me so many times, why don't you get a partner? Why do you take an investment of infusion of yep. cash? I said, you know what? When you're an entrepreneur <clears throat> and you're self-finance, there's no better way to manage your growth, right? 100%. Because everything you spend, everything you do, it's it, you're thinking about it. When you start handing over at two um, when someone gives you too much money, it's really easy to screw up. There's so many lessons over the years. One of the big things I say to my kids is be memorable. One, one of my sons mm. just started an accounting firm yesterday. And I said, show up early and stay late and do that every single day. And trust yeah. me, it'll pay off. Yeah. I say, it doesn't really matter what you do in life. Just go and find out what are the top 20 companies that you think are really cool and watch them. Yep. And go work at one of them, whether you work in the warehouse or you work as a receptionist. If you're happy right. and you love what they do and you drink the Kool-Aid, you'll rise to the top. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 100%. 100%. Real easy life lessons. Mm. And I think that's the challenge. That's not what our schools teach. I take on 
many interns. I have probably about 15 of them right now. And we actually have classes each week. And they've said to me, the best education they get is when I sit down for an hour and talk to them about what's going on. And yep. I'll say to them, like, hey, you shouldn't have done that. If you did that in the real world, this is what would happen. And they're like yeah. mortified because they don't teach these kids life no. school, life skills. And at the end of the day, you walk into a room and you've got great communication. You look someone in the eye. You look confident. You dress a certain way. You shake their hand. You got the job. Yep. And yep. it doesn't mean you're the best person for the job, but you know what? We're all salespeople selling ourselves. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think you hit a lot of nails on the head. And again, it's not. I'm not necessarily trying to like throw the education system under a bus because I've, I've obviously we're constantly trying to optimize and improve. But it really does just train people to work a job. It doesn't teach them how to have a successful business. It doesn't teach them successful life skills. It's, hey, here's how you show up, push these monkey buttons. And a lot of people don't realize yeah. that if a university can certify you and, and you can go to school and get certified as something, there's your job is a commodity. There's right. nothing preventing them from going and training up another thousand people just like you to compete for your job. So you really need to lean into specialized skills, which is combining proficiencies, which typically come from following your passions. If you can combine the, the three, four, five skills combined, specialty skills, there's the income earning ladder. Dentists earn whatever a dentist can earn. An orthodontist makes more than a dentist, not because the dentist can't figure it out, but because nobody wants to be experimented on. The orthodontist, orthodontist solves more complex problems and has training for it. So there's a greater certainty and outcome. And that's why you pay more. And the orthodontist can do what the dentist can do. And then you've got the trainers as specialists and they make more than the specialist because they sell the income earning opportunity. Plus there's again, a higher degree of confidence as the trainer, you may not get best in class, but you should get at least industry average. And so you pay for that premium of certainty of outcome. So you've got generalists, specialists, trainers, and specialists and at the very top are the celebrities because of the supply of the supply and demand. If they auction off their time, their hour, it'll just be worth more. There's not as many hours in a day. So I think it's a really important one. I, I do want to speak to one more thing. You talked about staying lean. And one of the things I was surprised when it came to money management and I mentioned one of those critical success factors, the core, the critical factors of good money management habits in your business is low capital investment and leanness being debt-free as possible, heavy investing in R&D, which you talked about way back at the beginning when you said you were checking like what, who else? Prisons, homeless shelters, like that's research and development to find new markets. And, and then, of course, having high quality products and services, <clears throat> capacity utilization, which is a really fancy word for getting everything you can from what you've got. If we want to get into the details, it's resource acquisition and management, employee capacity training, financial management, labor productivity, labor intensity, capital intensity. These are all fancy terms that just mean get everything you can from all you've got, your people, the money you're spending. And then investing in assets. The government, everything, government grants, there's right. some resources so many resources around that people just don't take advantage of. And one of my favorite books is The Compound Effect, right? Yes, yes. Uh, I actually met Darren, Darren Hardy. Hardy. I, I yeah. got to go hiking with him. He actually gave me his own personal copy of his favorite Jim Rohn series. I didn't even know at the time. I just discovered Jim Rohn. And sorry, right. but we went. I went to a friend's birthday party. I was living in, in Encinitas in California, just outside Rancho Santa Fe in San Diego. And for the birthday party, we were all going for this hike. And I ended up, everybody's partnering up and I ended up with Darren and I didn't even know who he was. I'm like, Hey, I'm Daryl. Hey, I'm Darren. And it's complete nobody. And we just got to talking and I was telling him about this guy, Jim Rohn and how I love his stuff. And I've been really digging into it for the last few months. And it turns out Darren bought all of Jim Rohn's intellectual IP. He owns all that stuff. 
And so like a couple of days later, he popped by the office and he gave me autographed his favorite. And it was so beat up and worn, but it was his favorite of all the Jim Rohn stuff. It was like a four CD thing. And anyways, anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I got fond memories of him and he's, yeah, he's a good guy. So I think when anything we do, if you're not watching, if something's bleeding, I went through a, a, a tough period when I went through a divorce and I had to focus on my kids and hunker down. Yep. And I did not have my eye on the bottom line for about five years. And you know what? Yep. Every month it got a little bit worse. And right. the person running my business wasn't cutting. Right. right? Sales, the revenues were going slowly down, but the expenses were staying flat. So right. eventually you got to a part where I was always self-financed, got into massive debt and very could have easily just pulled the plug and gone bankrupt. But I said, no, once I got back in, it was like, okay, let's dig in. And even now, Every month, we challenge the team, pick an expense, pick something that you think if we negotiate, we can get a better price and we have mm. fun, we gamify it. Every item we try and buy better, every supplier we try and get better terms. We put everything we possibly can on credit cards. We spend millions of dollars a year on credit cards so that when we have to travel and trips and things like that, it's all free. So mm. there's so many interns we have a wealth of intern programs 12 months a year they learn we learn right we get to take on massive projects and do research that maybe you wouldn't be able to afford all of these people so mm. there's so many different opportunities that are there that people just have to think outside of the box but at the end mm. of the day it's really easy to spend money right That's it's very really hard. easy it's really hard to preserve it for the right. And there's that whole rainy day less than six months ago, I had one of my buildings, my roof collapsed, right? Wow. Uh, you can't wait when that happens. You're ta talking several hundreds of thousands of dollars yep. to fix yep. it. Yep. And you know what, that could cripple a business overnight. The bank's mm. not going to hand, just hand you money to fix your yeah. roof, right? Yeah. It's an expenditure. So uh, there's so many different ways that I was an accountant's daughter and they taught me keep everything you can in your business and don't pay yourself until you have to, because you're mm. going to pay it a lot better tax bracket through your company, all different ways. But again, it has to constantly come into wanting to do better, want to grow, wanted constantly and having, holding people accountable, holding your accounting team Accountable, yep. saying like, yeah. how can I pay less tax? How can I make more money? How can I keep more money? Today in Canada, the minimum wage went up 7%. That's a lot. It is a if lot. If you've got people in it, what, where's that money going? You can't just increase everything by 7%. Right. So you got to figure it out. So there's many opportunities on a daily basis that it's a combination of, yeah, sell more, increase your margins and decrease your costs. And you can't do one without the other. Yeah, You got to yep. do both. You've yeah. got to be doing it all. And the bigger you get, the more that I really believe you've got to empower your people to look for those opportunities and reward them when they find them. Mm, yeah, that's a really good message. It sounds like no matter what, you can't take your eye off of the marketing and sales or the money. You can delegate the task, the work that's being done, but you can't take your eye off of whether those things are performing well or not. And I think that's a really, really and, powerful. And now there's a whole other complex, fraud. The worse the economy gets, the more the entrepreneurs, as we call them, yeah. I have had at least 25 cases of fraud, big fraud in the last 12 months, credit wow. cards being used, <laughs> checks being stolen and names being changed on them from the government, like crazy stories. But you know what? 
it's out there and, yep. and the worse the economy gets, the more people have to get creative yep. um, to survive. So we all have to really be educated on what is our exposure and try mm. and protect ourselves to the best we can, because right now it's not just about thriving. It's about surviving. And, right. and those are, that's real stuff. We've all, we all watch TV. We've always said somebody where somebody has been hacked or taken down or yep. a stolen identity. These are real life situations that are happening to all of us. And we can't put our head in the sand and pretend they're not. I, I love that. Now, so I know we're almost up on the hour here, but where do you think, if you're looking over the next five, 10, 15 years, what are the biggest trends or things that you're trying to pay attention to? And you think maybe the listeners need to do as well. I really think it's going back from a personal perspective, really dumb it down. What makes you happy? What really makes you happy in work? What really makes you happy home and lifestyle and try and figure out how close you can align yourselves to that. Because I truly believe that if I'm happy, the universe around me falls into place. Mm. And if I'm not happy, it's the absolute opposite. My employees are happy. My children are happy. My husband's happy. The world is just more, I can do more charitable work. Mm. So it really starts with all of us owning it and stop, stop blaming other people. If you're not happy with the situation you're in, get out, change right. it. Because right. you will have that compound effect on everything. It is a domino effect. So I really think happy and kindness. Those are two words that are really simple words, really overused, but really think about those two words and how they apply to your business, um, to you and, and to whether it be your family, your coworkers, or just society in general. And if you can increase your happiness and your kindness scores, guaranteed the world yeah, will be a better place. I love that. So that's really spiritual, but I think that's the essence of everything. You can't take, we can only change so much. There's that whole uh, quote about, we can't change anything but our attitude. And I think that there's so much negativity around the world and there's some really horrible things that are happening, but let's celebrate the good things, right? Mm. Let's celebrate gratitude. Thanksgiving in Canada is coming up this weekend. And to me, Thanksgiving is more important than Christmas or, or Hanukkah time because it's really a time where we can pause and be grateful for what we have. And for those of us who've survived COVID and are still working and they, wow, are mm. we ever, I have a roof over my head. How many people are living on the streets right now and they're not choosing to live there, right? That's mm. not a choice. So I think really just pausing, finding a little bit of space, which none of us have these days and really reflecting on how can we find happiness, kindness, and gratitude within our own lives and then help share those effects on others that surround us? And that the ripple effect of that, I think will really solve a lot of problems in the world. Yeah, I love what you said. And I want to put a, an asterisk on one where I think you're saying pursue happiness, but in the sense of, and you said it, if you're not happy with your situation, make the structural changes. And I think this yeah. is something that a lot of people forget because if they hear, oh, I'm supposed to find happiness, so you can find that in drugs. Instant happiness, but now you got to stay high all the time. Whereas if you focus on making the meaningful changes in your life, and I think that's just an important distinction. It's not happiness yeah. for the sake of happiness. And oh, petting my dog makes me happy. You have to figure out how to restructure your life. And it may be painful. It may be awkward. I remember when I was a teen, I was living in, I was working at a youth hostel, BC. And at one point I was in between places and they let me sleep in there in the basement, which was really a storage closet. 
And I remember being there one night and I just hated it. I hated it so much, but I knew I was making a better choice because I didn't like where I was living before. And I knew for myself, I needed to get away from those people and choose a better life. And it's one of those things where you may have to chew dirt. You know what I mean? You might have to eat some dirt yeah. to get to where you want. But once you get the structural things in place, no one can take that from you. And yeah. that's, this is getting away from that instant gratification. So I think that the real empathy and evidence, <clears throat> you know, evidence and changing what's around you, personal accountability, responsibility, and holding others accountable as well. I think there's a lot of that. I already talked about Vietnam. I'm not going to get into it, but I, I do think a lot of people have been victims of crisis profiteering. And we need to not be so foolish. We need to learn from this, become more resilient, more, and increase our personal accountability. We can finger point and blame to the end of time, but at the end of the day, need to do more for ourselves to prevent people like you talked about with frauds and cyber. It's not just frauds and cybersecurity in the terms of fraud, someone giving you a fraudulent check, but are the people like, where else is, I'm just going to say, where else are there the frauds? Where, you know, what else has been corrupted, so to speak, that we need to take personal it's accountability every, it's, from? It's everywhere. Today, my car that I just paid, I don't want to tell you how much to get a new battery. It died on the weekend. I called the dealership. I said, they just checked it out. It's a 25%. It's a brand new battery. You scammed me. Yeah. And they looked at me and I said, come on, like, I'm not an idiot. So yeah. yeah. really understanding what's going on. But I have a sign on my office and I always say to people, there's two types of people in my life and everyone's life. There's victims and there's champions. Yes. And you have a choice. You can go through life saying, oh, I shouldn't have done that. It's his fault and blame everybody. It's COVID. It's this. Yeah. No. Or you can say, you know what? I'm a champion. Not such a great situation, but you know what? It's yeah. not going to be here forever. And I'm going to make it through. That's right. right? Nobody it's cares. Work harder. <laughs> Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Work harder. I think, I think there's some people care. I don't think enough people care. And I think that right now, I know the financial grind for people is just horrible. When people have to make the choice of should they be putting food on their table or buying a tube of toothpaste, that's a tough choice, right? Mm. And nobody, that's what's happening to people that we know. A woman I just met, she lives, works in a law firm. She's living in a storage locker for right. $200 a month. Because, and her kids don't know she's been living there for two years and she goes to the gym downtown the to shower. work out and take a shower every yeah. morning yeah. because that's what she gets as a membership for working at this law firm and her kids have no idea. Like those are terrible stories, but those are happening all around. So yeah. I'm going to go back to the one word I said, kindness. Everybody's got a story. Don't yeah. judge. Right. 100%. Like just ask them what their story is. And I, and that's what I've learned. Listen more and talk less. When mm. you hear people's story and you listen to them, it really sends and resonates incredible messages. If you truly do listen. Mm. Jerry, this has been such a great interview. I've got a couple of pages of notes. People may want to listen to it more than once. If they want to reach out. If they want to connect, if they want to find out more, what are the best places for them to get in touch? Yeah, they can go on whoever they like to. They can go on LinkedIn under my name. They can reach out to me at uh, Bargains Group, Jody S at bargainsgroup.com. What, whatever is the way you can Google me, you'll find me. I'm out there. So you can go to bargainsgroup.com or you can uh, find her. Uh, what was the email? Jody at Bargains Group? J O D Y S as in Sam at bargains with an S group.com. B A R G A I N S G R O U P.com. 
or you can uh, look her up on LinkedIn, Jody, J-O-D-Y Steinhauer, S-T-E-I-N-H-A-U-E-R. Jody, thank you so much for coming and sharing with us, knowing you've got your own family, your own staff, your own following, your own endeavors to take care of. Thank you for coming and sharing with me and mine so we can all do a little bit better. Thanks, Daryl, for investing the time and listening and allowing me to share what's important to me. And thank you for doing this. It's really important work you're doing.